You're listening to The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Hello and welcome to The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Today is Sunday, August 31st, 2014, and this is your host, Stephen Novella. Joining me this week are Bob Novella. Hey, everybody. Rebecca Watson. Hello, everyone. Jay Novella. Hi, sir. Evan Bernstein. Hi, everyone. And we have a special guest this week, Scott Sigler. Scott, welcome back to the Skeptic Sky. Thank you. And we are recording in front of a live studio audience. God, where did they come from? <laughs> there are all these people sitting staring so at quiet. us. quiet. <laughs> So we're recording this uh, show from DragonCon on August 31st, um, although the, we, the show's not going to be put up for quite a while, so you're probably listening to this a couple of months after we recorded it, but that's okay because we're not going to do any any content that is time-sensitive, right? Mm-hmm. So it's basically what we're saying, this episode is timeless. <laughs> that's what okay. we're saying. <laughs> but we're still going to start with a This Day in Skepticism for today, the day we're recording. Rebecca. Yeah. Well, on this day in history... Thomas Edison patented something. And that's literally something you could say about every single day in history. So this <laughs> is actually timeless in a way. Today's option is the kinetoscope, which was basically an early version of a movie, like a way to watch movies. But you could only watch them one at a time, so it's mm-hmm. kind of boring. It's not exactly regard. Netflix, you're saying. It's <laughs> <laughs> No, it's more like a library book than, than Netflix. Wait, so it, did, did he actually play film? Like, was it playback of film? Well, it's a circular thing. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a circular thing with like a little <laughs> it slot. Was an, it was an animated gif. Yeah, it yes. it was more of an animated, animated gif. gif. Yeah, yeah oh, and it was you. just it was actually a, a cat wearing little mittens just falling off a dining room table. Oh, <laughs> 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 actually, this, can't get enough of that. <laughs> it was really cute, and it went viral. Because it was literally the only thing to do. <laughs> it was because it was uh, 1892 and... 1897, right? Well, that's what I said. By the way, go in, <laughs> in and edit head. me saying seven over the... Oh, say but, it again. Say but again. Keep, keep you saying 1897 so that you sound really dumb. Got it. So, <laughs> so I'll say it was 1897 and you'll say... It was nine, 1897. Yes, because I will edit and myself then, to sound dumb. And then, right. and then cut <laughs> it's in. It's going to happen. Okay, and then cut in this part. Okay. Yes, see, that's what I said. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Steve. Jesus, don't tell me how to edit. <laughs> it's one of our running jokes behind uh, the scenes. Yeah, so it was 1897. They yeah. had nothing better to do. Very cool. Yep. And yes, now we have you know, 4K high definition. Video and it's still not good enough. And 8K nope. is coming soon. It's still yeah. mostly cats too. So mostly most, cats. Still well, mostly cats well, with mittens yeah, falling off the dining tables. Yeah, in uh, 24 frames per second. So Scott, so let's start by t- having you tell us a little bit about yourself. You are a science fiction author. Yep. Uh, quite successful. Yep. Tell us about. Tell us what you're working on. What you've done recently. Probably on the show because I work a lot of skepticism into all of my work. Uh, the next book out is we have a series that is. The Galactic Football League, which is American pro football, 700 years in the future, with aliens playing different positions based on their physiology. Cool. So it's a hero's quest, and it's a big commentary on uh, meritocracy of sports and how sports is a healing factor against racism. The main character also comes from a very orthodox religious background when he's in the all-human world, but then as he's thrown in the large universe with other races, he has to learn that everything he's been taught has basically been a bunch of BS. And work his way away from his religion to become a leader for this team and, and lead them to a title. So book five of that is out in September. That's all over the place. Ebook, audiobook, 
regular book, anything you like. And then uh, have another one coming out a year from now that is called Alive. And that's my first book with Del Rey after doing five books with Random House. All of which are really gory and have a lot of science. Like hard science horror. So plausible science, you'll read about 90% of it and go, that could happen. I know how that works, etc., etc. Then you get to the crazy part, and I already own you, so you just let that yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just let that last 10% go and bathe in the blood of the victims. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like fun. <laughs> Do that and give everything away. Free uh, free weekly podcast at scottsigler.com. And all of those books are free, serialized audiobooks at iTunes. Just go to iTunes and search for me. And be entertained, because it's what I do. Yeah, yeah. and just to be clear, you know, Scott, I I overheard Scott last night talking to some people and introduced himself as somebody who puts out free podcasts of, of audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, Scott, you are an intensely successful writer who, you know, you... you That's how you get them. You get them with the free stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> just give it a listen. What's it going to hurt? Don't right. cost nothing. <laughs> Try it. Like... So successful that the other night there was a group of people cosplaying as characters from your book. Mm-hmm. And not just, it wasn't easy cosplay. No. <laughs> One they... person was on like a, uh, she was on like a, like a roller board to, so that she could be like a little tiny alien thing. The, uh, the coaches in the football league are about this tall. It's a podcast, Scott. So it's a podcast. Yeah, thank you. Just take your home. They're very about well. this tall, <laughs> about three feet tall, and she had the extra limbs going and the the single uh, single eye in the middle that was glowing, and the race conveys emotions via the different colors that swirl about on top and inside of their eyes, so you can sort of tell what they're thinking. And like a mood ring. She pulled that off. Yeah, they're like mood ring. A mood eye. It's exactly they're like a mood eye. She pulled all of that off. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. So Scott, what's it like? You're a, a successful author, and people at a at an awesome sci-fi conference are you know cosplaying characters from your book. Like, what what does that feel like it's when you see completely it? Completely overwhelming. Is it incredible? Because it's this weird feeling of wow, these people like this stuff so much. How much time did they put into making those costumes? Now I feel bad. Didn't they have more important things to do than yeah. make <laughs> my book? And you, I felt like well, that's a lot of work to yeah. put in to do this. But they all came together. So it was like seven players from the team. Yeah. All of, of course, everybody in the team's a different race, and that's it was awesome. It was completely overwhelming. I was yeah. like, "That's nice," and I hope I didn't offend anybody by not geeking out too much over it. But <laughs> for somebody who works with words every day for a living, to not know what to say is kind of a, yeah. a special thing when that happens. That's awesome. So it was like the defensive line, like what was like the blob, or haven't got uh, blobs in it. The offensive <laughs> and the defensive line are these twelve foot long creatures that are bent forward at the waist and have four arms. You can bench press about 1,300, 1,400 pounds, or they're heavy G humans, mm-hmm. which uh, a lot of uh, regressive uh, genetic engineering to make them more simian in their appearance, and they're six, 700-pound humans with very long front arms. They're That's basically the gorillas. Line. They're basically gorillas. They're, yeah. gor- they're, they're hairless gorillas is what they are. And then the other races, the defensive backs and receivers, are able to jump 15 to 20 feet high, so the passing game becomes this crazy three-dimensional thing. That's awesome. The linebackers like to eat people, so... You so know, people die during the course of the game. People die. They keep stats on people dying during the course of the game. Oh, <laughs> yes. It's almost like That's a Hunger awesome. Games field. Well, it's, it's extrapolating on, as modern football continues to progress, the amount of injuries are... It, it, they're, they're going sky high, and the brain damage yeah. and damage to the body. Because you can have all this muscle, you can do all this all this great work with padding, but at the end of the day, we're just not engineered 
to have a 320 pound guy who can run a 4840 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and bench press 400 pounds hit you as hard as he can going full speed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your brain, it's, we can never, until we can get inside and somehow lock the brain down, that's going to cause damage. Yeah. So people are getting bigger, stronger, and faster and have been, uh, since the NFL started. In, ni- in the 50s, the average weight of a Cowboys lineman was 251 pounds. And today, you could not even get a job in football at any level other than high school at 251 pounds. So that's within 60 years, we have seen an increase in the average size of an offensive lineman by somewhere around 60, 70%. And the technology for the helmets, the protection of the players is not keeping up with that. It's, 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 it's not. substandard. It's, yeah. But I don't even know if it could keep up with it. I mean, if can. the fact is, you know, accelerating and deaccelerating somebody's brain. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, yeah, what are you going right. to do? A helmet's not going to help with that. Uh, Bob already told you the answer. It's nanotechnology. We just need to get billions of dollars. Yeah, but and we're talking about years. what's actually happening today. The helmet yeah. does help, though. It, it, oh, yeah. To be clear. Yeah, of course it helps. It, reduces, but... it does reduce the impact. Like, And they measure it in terms of like the force that is reduced by the helmet. But if, you're in, if you have a head injury, it may cut the force by 20% or 30% or 50%, but there's still a lot of force left. Yeah. And so we we can't reduce it below the point where you get a concussion. And now we're learning that the duration of recovery is a lot greater than they used to think. You, you know, up until very recently, they they would put players back in, in a, the next week or two weeks later, saying that they were fine. But now we realize that you know if you, they're still in the recovery phase from the concussion, and if they get another hit at it's, that yeah, time, it's ten times bad. It's ten yeah. times as bad. Yeah, yeah. then because the the neurons that are trying to recover are much more susceptible to that second blow. That's kind of devastating to football. If you have to take players out for two, three months every time they they take a ba- a bad hit, yes, that's that's rough. because the drop off from the elite level players to the yeah. players who are just only superhuman <laughs> is so significant. Yeah. You can see the difference on the field dramatically. Right. There's only one Peyton Manning. Yeah, Drew Brees and the guys who were coming after them, the quality of product on the field drops significantly. So the series tries to look at at extrapolating that arc forward as things get not only bigger but stronger and are better trained out of hit. The injuries really add up in the series, and I think at some point in football it'll be inevitable. You're looking at deaths on the field like like that unless they severely change the rules or come up with some technology that we can't comprehend right now. Yeah, so right. It's interesting. I love hard side fiction, science fiction where the, what the story is driven by science that, that is actually real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the, I, I consider it, we get, sometimes we talk about science fiction on the show and criticize, you know, the errors in the science and people say, ah, it's, it's fiction. Why do you care? Why, you know, why are you being picky about it? It's like, well, oftentimes getting the science wrong is just lazy. It's lazy writing in my opinion. Correct. And actually, the, the real science is more interesting, and right. I think it drives a better story. That's what I find with all of my – I've got um, two biology PhDs yeah. and an MD who read everything from the earliest stages. So I, I'm sure there's others, but I kind of call myself the peer-reviewed science fiction author. So they go through this, and a lot of times when they correct what I have wrong, they send me recent information – and it's amazing. Like, that's so this fuels way your, your writing. Yeah, right? like the stuff they send is like, that's way cooler than what I had, and yeah, that's real, right. and you're able to in- incorporate a lot of it in. And if you have to tell a proper story, at some point you have to go away from what we can and can't do, what we know, and, and go a little farther. But most of the time, why make something up if you can have something that's right. actually real? Mm-hmm. And that particularly right. the, the majority of the age group who reads this book, if there's some kid out there who picks up that book and – gets turned on by science or, or thinks there's something cool and it can mm-hmm. change the direction that they go, 
or change the general perception of science and acceptance of science, then that's a great thing. So use as much real stuff as you can. Yeah, that's awesome. This guy, was it an infection? God, I read, it was years ago I read one of your one of your books. Was it infection where, where the the uh, the infection comes in space and yeah, know, people get yeah, these that, growths that become like a, a that's infected and it's infected, uh, it's, infected. It's an artificial life spore based um, self assembling material. So it comes in and then like a virus, it hijacks your cells to make the parts it needs, right. and then these parts self assemble and coalesce inside, and then they um, tap into your nervous system and use it like an internet to talk to each other. And they also tap into the seventh cochlear nerve. So our poor hero is hearing voices, but they are actual voices. He's just the only one who can hear them. So these things are talking right. to him, basically trying to tell him, go hide from everything because it's a parasite. Get away from everything, curl up and hide so that we can finish our life cycle and come out. Right. I read a book like that but, once. It's called Horton Hears a Who. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> like that. Horton's <laughs> Arterial Blood Spray but Scott, was the I, sequel. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that the biology was very impressive. When listening to it, it was clear to me that you that you did your homework because it was very... Although it did cochlear nerve the eighth grade. The eighth? Okay. Close. Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> but I peer-reviewed peer that for you. <laughs> <laughs> but Steve, uh, you, you mentioned this. We lo- all love hard science, and the science generally has to be good and not lazy. But also, that doesn't mean that there aren't a couple gimmies that everybody gotta, yeah, gets. Of course. It's everybody the, gets the a fiction few, part. You want yeah, a gimme. Yeah. Exactly. And, and or Scott, you got warp drive or whatever. Yeah, you got to yeah. give them something. Yeah, yeah, Scott, we were talking about that last night. You were talking about how you're faster than light drive. and Yeah, and, in the uh, GFL, there's the two primary gimmies are faster than light travel. So it doesn't take them 50,000 years to reach another planet to play a game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then artificial gravity, because when yeah. you're writing a sci-fi story that doesn't have artificial gravity, the, the one that's out um, ne- a year from now called Alive, they don't have artificial gravity. You have to explain how that stuff works. That's a big pain in the ass. And yeah. your stories, a hero's quest with a football background showing racial unity, you know, artificial gravity, done. Which also solves the problem of when they travel to different planets, there's a certain parameter set for the gravity on the field. So there has to be a certain amount of humidity, certain amount of gravity, certain amount of air pressure, so that the game is consistent across different planets. Artificial gravity yeah. solves that. But those are really the, the yeah. two big ones. Yeah. And then, you know, the battlefish. At some point, these things, you mm-hmm. have to make these things be able to communicate right. with each other. Otherwise, you as the reader can't enjoy the interaction with the characters. So yeah. those three things, other than that, yeah. rock-solid science, mm-hmm. man. <laughs> I, I like to um, sometimes having science fiction explore like not use the artificial gravity high tech solution because it is convenient, mm-hmm. but just like explore what would space travel really be like without artificial gravity? I mean, first of all, like all the science fiction ship designs are wrong. Well, S. A. Corey you does know? that. Yeah, uh, with Calvin's. Um, the you know well, that's that's the second. Uh, oh gosh! Oh, um, Levi- Leviathan. 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 Wait. By the way, thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and yeah, I, I found it very interesting yeah. how, how he deals with it. And you're right. Like one of the problems, though, is that you don't want your solution to this problem to overtake the story you're trying to right. tell. And I think he does a really good job. They do a really good job of doing that. You know, it's it becomes part of the world building. And uh, but you have to. I think you have to be really talented to be able to come up with a way to explain. How you are dealing with this problem without having it completely overtake the story you're trying right. to tell. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Like a really good example, I think, of it done wrong is like, say, in the, the last Star Trek movie, you know, they evolved the warp, um, the teleporter to such a point that it could solve like almost any problem that's coming up in the movie, right? But then they don't use the teleporter right. inexplicably. Like, why don't, why didn't they just teleport that guy away from that problem or whatever? Trans- they, transporter. So, and that's an internal yeah. logic problem. Yeah. Like, and, you know, right. Scott's point, I think, is, you know, you, 
you, there are certain things that are gimmies, and those gimmies, you understand them within that world, but I feel like that's a worse problem. That's yeah. a worse problem. Yeah. The gimme, but the gimmies become part of the structure of the story. Yeah. yeah. And I work draft after draft and keep finding things just like that. You yeah. are... You're on third draft, everything's going swimmingly, and you're 75% of the way through the book, and you get to this particular crisis point, and you go, wait a minute, with what I wrote on page 20, why wouldn't they just do this, which invalidates the rest of the book, and yeah. then you have to go back and restructure everything. That's exactly... And that's what takes me out of the story, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly why the nerds at things like this adore you, because, <laughs> yeah, that's the sort of thing, when I'm it, reading yeah. a book, like that... Problems with internal consistency is the biggest thing that will yank me out of a book. Yeah, people you know? are willing to to roll with a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, artificial gravity, etc., anything else, they're willing to roll with all kinds of stuff. But when people get to the point in the story where they know the author hasn't bothered to put in the wrench time to yeah. iron out those plot difficulties, that's where I think most people walk away. Because yeah. you get mad, at least when I read it, the author's disrespecting my time. Yeah. Right. Time is the most precious resource we have as individuals and when you realize like I, I there's a couple books I've, I've had a bad run of luck a couple books i won't name but i get to the end of it and i'm like are you this is a time travel story are you kidding me like i would have known that in the beginning i wouldn't have read this book yeah. and it because mm-hmm. it solved all of the problems yeah well wow, super mad i'm like that's yeah. 18 hours of listening time i will never get back that i wouldn't have spent with you otherwise yeah so i don't want a the, deus ex machina to yeah, yeah. nowhere. killer sometimes yeah. the movie's so bad that the preview like you know the lucy with the 10 percent brain thing <laughs> like just because of that i refuse to go see <laughs> the movie and so Same they, thing. They, yeah. they give us the giveaway it was a deal breaker right yeah. The, yeah right off the bat and it pisses me off because they don't have to pull that card they could just say something else like maybe they 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 could yeah. just say that the density of the the neurons increases or whatever like just you know give me anything that spend 10 minutes with a neuroscientist and they'll give you a more interesting way right. to accomplish what That's you want to do yeah. rather than a myth that was whatever and again you, again it Scott, all boils down to people calling steve yeah, yeah, that's always the solution. That's always yes. the solution. But Scott, you you do that, don't you? You do when that. Run do into what? tangles with your science, and yep. you need to solve it in a certain way. You talk to scientists. I do talk to a lot of scientists and yeah. people in other professions as well. I talk to police officers. I talk to firemen. I have uh, uh, several people from the military because my modern day stuff, in fact, contagious pandemic, nocturnal and ancestor, the five books I have out. Those are all people just like us. Getting into a persnickety situation, which is science fiction, but modern day. And inevitably, these things spiral out of control to the point where the military is involved. So I have a guy who's a colonel in the Air Force who handles all of, all of those questions. Mm-hmm. And he's also spent time, you know, in the situation room in crisis situations. So that was really helpful to understand how that works. And, uh, one gentleman who's served three tours in Iraq and knows an awful lot about an awful lot of stuff that's not very fun. So, you can go to him and say, soldiers are going to come in and take care of this problem. How does that work? Right. But that is just as integrated as the science, and his solution breaks everything. Well, they don't have that weapon anymore. That ship's been scrapped, and things like that just... It's an so enormous never, Yeah, you'd never know it, but and you, and you find people, and I'm sure most of them, if not all of them, are very happy to just share the information with you. Yeah, they're thr- well, I started out as the podcast... Before I even had a publishing deal, I just gave all the stories away every Sunday, 30, 40 minutes or so. And that engendered this massive force of goodwill where I would, you know, okay, so, um, sorry, I don't know how a semi-automatic handgun works. And you can tell when you listen to the story that I've never fired that in my whole life. People would very politely email in and be like, if you need any help with guns, I would be happy to explain it to you and then explain what I got wrong. When you're giving something away for free, 
people are like, oh, let me help you with that. Yeah. When you have charged them twenty nine ninety five, and they get to the middle of the book, and they're like, have you not ever spoken to a police officer? They're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. could go find one and talk to them and know how this works. Then they're really mad. I'm going to shoot you with my guns. Yes, that's <laughs> basically what yeah. I will show you how it works. Yeah. Up close. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to so mess with those people. The, that, and, and that battery of experts that I have in all these other disciplines came from giving everything away for free. And they're, yeah, yeah they... These people put in an enormous amount of time for free. Yeah. Some of them read all three drafts of a book cover to cover just to make sure I haven't missed anything, and they they get a big thrill out of it, too, so they love it. I have one question for you, Scott. How come Gandalf didn't have the Giant Eagles fly the ring to Mount Doom and drop I've it I've wondered in? that myself forever in a day. Like, There's got to be a reason well, why. Well, those... You've read that. Yeah, in the I director's read. cut, I'll tell you, in the director's cut, the orcs have really good ballistas and marksmen, so they mm -hmm. can pick off the eagles, and mm. they've got a no-fly zone set up yeah. by yeah by the Middle-Earth NATO, There you go. and that's why they can't <laughs> cross that area. There so. is that really stupid explanation for that that's been going around. Yeah, the, the, the eagles it. were having a party, and they were all hungover. <laughs> Basically. Just, it was their it fraternal actually, order party. It, it was great. It legit annoyed me a little, because I'm like, you know what? What is it? What is he it? just what? made a mistake. Yeah, he made Deal a mistake. with it. Uh, no, it's like, when he's, when Gandalf says, fly you fools, he meant it literally. <laughs> oh, come on. He was trying to like tell that. that. No, just shut up. He made a mistake. Get over yeah. it. Jeez. Like, yeah. What do you mean? He was he shut up or everybody else shut eagles up. and fly the ring. That's what yeah. the. It's weird though, because that's, that's so, it that's is. like, that's it's, a two sentences to fix. Yeah. Yeah. They have. X number of dragons yeah. circling the volcano. And Done. Like, out. I hope that the, the person yeah, who came up that. with that theory, that fix, was doing it tongue-in-cheek, but uh, hmm. lots of people are sharing it like, this is, yeah, but th this is what happened. That's like the Harry uh, Potter thing where Harry is actually crazy once he, right. makes the, he draws the birthday cake in the dirt. Yeah. And then Hagrid comes in from that moment and forward. And after that, he's, he's insane. <laughs> yeah, every single... Like a uh, large scale pop culture thing has one theory about how that main character went crazy at this point, and everything else is a dream. Yeah. It's like it's like the Twin Peaks phenomenon. Oh, the best like, the best thing for me is anybody seen Prometheus? Of course. Oh, yeah. oh. go online, go online, and look yep. up the Prometheus apologists. It's the most yes. entertaining stuff you've ever seen. Oh, so they're actually trying to explain away all the nonsense. Yeah, all of it. Like, oh, and not just like they're they not like, well, these things were screwed up, but these yeah. things are okay. Everything you can think of as a yep. mistake. There are people who are militantly dedicated to explaining. Number one, you don't get it because you're stupid. Yep. And only special people understand the questions that they're asking, and then they go through with these convoluted explanations yep. of wow. everything that's wrong. I knew a biologist once who saw a snake-looking thing and just took off their helmet and tried to kiss it. Yeah. I guess those That's checks what from... biologists do sometimes. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I guess those checks from Ridley Scott cleared. That's the face <laughs> they, they didn't bounce. It's almost a sub-religion at this point. Yeah. And the amount of yeah. work that they've gone through to justify everything. And like they, they made a movie and there's a bunch of stuff that's wrong in it. It's yeah. not that big They're of a deal. Compare, that, movie, get over it, yeah. movie. compare yeah. that to last year I was here at Dragon Con and I was on the uh, fantasy literature track mm -hmm. and I did a thing on women of Westeros uh, and we had this, uh, it was just me and the woman who runs the track basically and this packed standing room only audience. It's the best panel I've ever done because the audience said things like this. At one point, woman raises her hand. What, what's up? And she says, you know, I would love, uh, so I personally love to, I know this is weird, <laughs> but I love to really dissect the problematic aspects of the media I consume and love. 
Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, I know you guys love Game of Thrones and, and Song of Ice and Fire, but I would just like to know what aspects you are at all critical of. I know this is a weird thing. And I'm like, it's not a weird thing. It's the only thing. <laughs> like, you have to learn how to criticize the things you love and mm-hmm. and learn to still love them, <laughs> you know, to be able to uh, analyze, like, identify and analyze the flaws while still appreciating the good things yeah, about them. Constructive sure. criticism. And then we had this amazing dissection of, like, race and, you know, stuff in, in Game of Thrones. It was but, you know, wonderful. to be fair, things could get, could, like Prometheus, could be so poor. Oh, yeah, obviously. Then, yeah, then you're just like, look, this thing yeah, is a train wreck. Yeah, and, and, you know, being able to analyze those sort of flaws has ruined things to, that previously probably would have just been a fun brain vacation for me. Yeah. But now that but a lot, I'm isn't critical. a lot of that when you go in, what are you looking for yeah. out of the entertainment property yeah. when Absolutely. you go in? Sure. If I go in, let's say, to watch a Power Rangers movie, I'm yeah. not ex- I'm not expecting <laughs> anything really analysis. serious, like flashy colors, things being up, th- you know, yeah. things along those lines. Prometheus was pitched as right. this mm-hmm. intellectual intellectual masterpiece, this yeah. philosophical wonder that'll change the way you think. Yeah. Like it took itself very seriously. Meanwhile, I actually do want to see Lucy because I just want to see Scarlett Johansson murdering some mother <laughs> with her brain. <laughs> and was, I don't care how bad. they describe it. You it saw it? I Bob, saw it. you don't Bob, name one thing you didn't like. I didn't like she became well, obviously the ten percent thing, but I got past yeah, that. Why I knew it, it was common, it? and it was actually more in- integral to the party, to the party, to the movie than you than you than you think it was. It was Bob likes this movie so 10%. much. He thinks of it as a party that he no, was invited right. to, no. and Scarlett um, yeah, was but, there. But the I thing just, is, I have, <laughs> so I got past that. You get you get past that. I ha- I happen to like that subgenre of movie where there's intelligence augmentation, where people get crazy smart, and I love to see what happens to them, how they change, what they think. What they observe, Limitless was a really good example. I was of about that. to bring that up. I loved, yeah. I loved Limitless yeah, because it I really showed. It too. Right, even their premise sucked. Yes. Their premise was you remember everything you ever saw or read, which is bullshit because your brain doesn't work that way. Your brain isn't a recorder that records everything. You remember only a tiny fraction. So even if you had perfect recall. You w- you would forget ninety nine point nine percent of everything you ever did anyway. But it's so, like let's but, accept that. But you accept that. That's a gimme. Premise. That's a gimme. That's gimme. But it was it's well written, gimme. well acted. Right. Yeah. With her, she got crazy smart, really incredibly smart. But they didn't showcase that enough. It was more. It was mm. she had ESP, and telekinesis, and she was an incredible fighter, and that's cool too. But I, if you get crazy smart, I want to see the effects of you becoming that smart. They didn't show that as mm. much as I had hoped. But she did murder people with her brain. Right? Yes, and that was cool. I mean, and it's and you know, with her fists too, right? Because I'm not going unless she punches someone. Did she punch someone to death? Oh yeah, there was some. See, there was some physical. Let's go. So the movie had fisting. I'm in. Yeah. (laughs) You had me at Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson does anything. One ticket, please. Yes, 3D. Yes, IMAX. (laughs) An extra twenty dollars. Okay. All right. We're going to move on. <laughs> that was me putting on the yeah, glasses. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, yeah. It was funny when you click explained it, but I got it that the, the first time. I put on the 3D glasses because I purchased the ticket for the 3D. Yeah. Oh, that's now it funny then. I spent oh. extra. It cost yes. an extra $20, Sweet. but I did it because I love her. So instead of news items for this show, <laughs> we're going to each talk about our quote-unquote favorite pseudoscience. Not necessarily, you know, for, and we can all decide in our own way what, what that means. So, I'll start. I want to talk about, just to set the pace, the tone for the rest of you. <laughs> I'm just joshing you. Yeah, I know. 
Okay. I'm going to talk. What do you think I'm going to talk about? Did I tell you what I'm talking about? No. What do you think? What Creation. Would you guess? ESP. No. <laughs> no. The, thir- the third eye. <laughs> it's got to have something to do with medicine. It's probably homeopathy, chiropractic. So. No. Facilitated communication. There you go. No. You hate facilitated communication. Yes. No, it's, it's all right. The, the reason why I chose it is because we've seen that you could, in the history of facilitated communication, you can, in the course of 20 years, the entire course of the creation, the peaking, the the deconstruction, and the death of a pseudoscience. And but when I say death, now it's lingering on in the the persistent sort of afterlife that they all. So have. give us a quick explanation. Yes, that's what I'm going to do. Let's <coughs> try to help. So FC, I'll call it FC, just so I don't say facilitated communication every time. Was uh, first came to attention in Australia in 1977. Rosemary Crossley, the teacher in St. Nicholas Hospital. So she claimed that she had a technique where children who had developmental delay or severe autism who were essentially nonverbal, these are children who could not communicate, that she developed a way that they could communicate. And the, the premise there was that they had more intelligence than was apparent because they simply couldn't communicate their thoughts to the outside world, and she figured out how to tap in there. So what she did was you support the hand of the child and allowing them, because they didn't have they didn't have the physical ability to communicate, even though they had the intellectual ability. So if you support their hand, then they can have the strength to move it and point to letters on a letter board or hit keys on a keyboard, and they can then spell out and communicate that way. And it took off. It just I mean, it absolutely took off. Because imagine emotionally the impact. You're a parent. You have a six-year-old child who's completely nonverbal. They're 100% care. And then someone tells you, you know what, your child is writing poetry, and they, they're telling you that they love you, and they appreciate it when you come and you brush their hair or whatever. And the parents melt. Of course, who wouldn't buy that? And the facilitators, the speech therapists, the, the, the experts, I mean, think about it, this, transformed their profession. The only problem was that it, was, it wasn't real. It was completely in the heads of the facilitators. And they, they made every mistake that pseudo pseudoscientists make. It's, 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 the story's really interesting. Um, so the big problem that they did is that they bought in too quickly to the whole notion of FC before asking the critical question, is it real? They didn't really ask that question. Eventually, by the late 80s, early 1990s, scientists were asking that question, and they were, and there's, an, there's a pretty obvious way to answer it. If you the, 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 the core question was so-called authorship. Who was doing the communicating? Was it the client, the child? doesn't have to be a child. It could be an adult. We'll just call it the client. Or the facilitator. Um, the facilitators believed that they were being careful enough that they weren't doing the communicating, that it was the child. And there was lots of reasons why they thought it was real because the children had a unique voice, a consistent way of communicating. It clearly, it was coming from them. Um, but the scientific community was pretty skeptical, and they said, well, we, we should just do blinded testing. And so research got done, and these, the design of the trials improved until you had pretty well-controlled, definitive, blinded studies where, you know, just for example, you show a piece of information to the facilitator, you show a different piece of, of information to the client, then you ask them, what did you just see, and you see what answer you get. And you don't necessarily have to tell the facilitator that the child got a different piece of information. And it turns out that every well-designed, blinded, controlled study um, was consistent with the facilitator doing the communicating. They were the author of the information, not the child. It was all just 
the idiomotor effect, self-deception, the whole house of cards collapsed over a very short period of time. Um, There's no shades of gray? There's no shades of gray. There really isn't. This really was 100% complete self-deception on the part of the facility. So, what was their response? Well, to their credit, a lot of them said, hey, we were fooled. You know, it, this isn't real. And they went on with their lives. A lot of them said that? Yeah. It really, be, really shrunk That's to right. a fringe. But, but the core, the people who were really dedicated to it, never gave up. And to this day, there are people who believe in facilitated yeah. communication. So you know what they did? When you designed a study to test whether or not it was real, the, the answer came back negative. It's not real. The, the facilitators are the communicator. They said, okay, we're going to stop doing that research. We're going to do different research. We're going to just research. We're going to sort of nibble around the edges of the question rather than directly confronting the question. So we're going to do research into um, like the writing style of the child to see if it's consistent between different facilitators, which is kind of an indirect way of getting around the question. It's, it's a way that is very more, it's subjective, subjective, subjective. Yeah. and the, therefore the subjective angle allows, gives you the wiggle room to get the answer you want. Or they said, well, we're going to tr- do eye tracking to track the child's eye movements when to see what letters they're looking at to make sure it matches what they're pointing. Again, it's enough wiggle room. So they did these squishy studies that they could finagle and get the right answer, and they stopped doing the definitive trials that were objective and could actually answer the actual question. Which was already answered. Which was already answered, because they didn't like the answer. So they they changed the research to get the answer that they wanted, rather than listening to the research that actually addressed the real question. And they don't care that the families were being... You know, affected by this. I, they, they're they're true believers. They really so. They probably think that they're helping. They right. do. I'm mean, sure. Everyone's a hero in their own narrative, yeah. right? I'm uh, the villain I, in my I, own narrative. Yeah. <laughs> very just, few, you know, very few people clears up a lot of stuff. Other than Scott, yeah, yeah. put themselves in the role of the villain. So it keeps cropping up, and every generation now has to relearn FC all over again. Recent example of this, we talked about this on the show, but very quickly. A neurologist from Belgium, Dr. Stephen Larays, who's actually a respected neurologist and researcher doing good coma research work, but completely unfamiliar with FC, um, had a patient, um, Ron Hoban, 46-year-old, in a car accident 23 years earlier, and was comatose, essentially, or locked in, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But he was in, so in a wheelchair, unable to move, and a facilitator convinced the family and then the doctor that they were able to communicate with Hoban through facilitated communication. And so this guy's like, because this guy's a coma researcher, he said it confirmed what he was saying. Some people, a percentage of people who are in a coma, who are in a persistent vegetative state, actually are more conscious than we thought. And so this seemed to confirm his central hypothesis. So he kind of fell for it, and he didn't know enough to know that this was debunked pseudoscience. And so he published a paper, press release, news stories, guy in a coma for 23 years. Turns out he's been awake the whole time and nobody knew it. You guys ever hear this story? It's all bunk. It was all through a facilitator. I actually emailed Dr. LaRays and said, dude, I didn't say dude, but I was like, dude, this guy, this is facilitated communication. This is not real. You've got to be very careful here. If you're not familiar with it, here's some articles about it. You need to do a blinded test to see who's doing the, who's doing the authorship. And he said, no, no, we've checked it out. It's all good. But then a year later, he published, to his credit, he did a blinded test, and guess who was doing the communicating? It was all the facilitator. And he admitted, all right, in this case, it wasn't real, but he still didn't completely abandon the idea of FC. Wow. 
which was disappointing. So, is this interesting? You know, the the self deception, and see that you have a Yikes. you know accomplished scientist, a little bit of little critical thinking module lacking there, and has skin in the game. Had some skin in the game, there and you go. fell prey yep. to something that twenty years ago has been uh, thoroughly debunked. This is the kind of thing we're going to have to debunk this every five, ten years, just like Bigfoot, every over and over again. The allure of of this self deception is just too great. And, but that's part of the... We're the memory, right? The skeptical movement is the memory for mm-hmm. this sort of thing. So that next time it crops up again, we'll be like, yep, we've been there, we've done that, this is why it's wrong, here's the information. Yep. We won't have to make that mistake all over again. I just think that this is an, an, an incredible pseudoscience story with all the elements are there. If you, if you really wrap your head thoroughly around FC and the whole history of it, you pretty much get the whole phenomenon of pseudoscience. Yep. Steve, what about... Like locked-in syndrome, yeah. you know, the diving bell and the butterfly, you know. All right. So, yeah, so people who are, who are locked in, they really are just paralyzed by definition, but they're, they're alert, and, they, and so they can communicate by doing eye tracking with computer stuff. That's not FC. So the critical element there is they can communicate with a device with no other intelligence in the mix. So here's something I wrote a few years ago. I said, if FC were real, if it were real, then you could design very low tech. You could design a mechanical thing to support the patient's arm, the client's arm, and that even, you know, would be able to have some kind of feedback and enable them to basically do what the facilitators claim they are doing, mm-hmm. providing support without guidance. It could be completely mechanical and automated, and it should work. Yep. But it, yeah, because but no by definition, facility communication is I'm just being a brainless yes, tool. That's right. And that's what we excel if at creating. If that were real, actually. you could easily yeah. make the brainless tool that would work. Yeah. But there has to be the intelligence in the mix. Right. Because that's, the intel- that's the, what's communicating. Yeah. And so the fact that we don't have these devices that we're handing out to kids to communicate is, in a way, the final nail in the coffin of why it's not real. It hasn't led to the obvious yeah. follow through. Is that interesting? It is interesting yeah. and and intensely sad. It is. It's very sad. You know, it's very. My wife teaches at a college, and there's a student. She was there for a while. She's not there anymore. The mother putting the child through college, Ooh. and she was the facilitator. It was wow. even. It was a double facilitation because the child had to be helped to write, and the what she was writing was chicken scratch, yeah. and then the mother had to interpret the chicken oh. scratch. Yikes. There's a dark side to this, too. too. Darker. 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 The darker side is that it's not uncommon for children under FC to say, by the way, daddy's been touching me in a bad way. And there are people in jail today based on facilitated communication evidence, which is like spectral evidence. What a way to put someone away, huh? Yeah, Yeah, right? Talk about a flawed system. Can you imagine? A, 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 you know, a one parent facilitating that the, the estranged parent was guilty of child abuse, or facilitators, like professional facilitators, accusing the parents of, yeah. of, of child abuse, yeah. of mistreatment. And, and then, and then, and so those, these are the ones who were really devastated because this happened. And there's a guy who wrote a sort of confession of a, of a facilitated communicator who eventually came around and said, you know, through FC, his subconscious, if you will, accused parents of abusing the client it's under like his care. Demons from the age. Yeah, it's like, right? what was going <laughs> on in this guy's head that this is what emerged out of that yeah, process? Right. And he had to live with that. Yeah. And that was devastating. The lady, uh, the college one, yeah. did the mother have a college degree? 
I, mean, I don't know. She did after, know. right? Well, yeah, that's 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 what I think. Talk about a way of getting like, a degree. degree. It, think about yeah. the, the college. I mean, the situation that they were in. You know, should they go along with it? Are they being discriminating, or are they going to be giving a de- credits and a degree? It's a, something that's a tough farce. Come on, it's, it's ridiculous. And some of the teachers were really upset about it. They didn't hmm. want to do it. Others went along. Is the mother going to be there for the child throughout her entire professional career after so. college? Like, get out of here. I guess so. So it's so no, stupid. because all you get to that point where the uh, person has a collegiate degree and has gone through all these hurdles, and now you're selling book rights, you're selling movie rights. Oh uh-huh, yeah. Thing. So there's yeah. not a career required other than writing book one, yeah. two, three of her constant struggle, right. and with the right. Marketing in the right, right. breaks, that kind of stuff sells like crazy. All right, so should we move on to the next person? Yeah, so who wants to go next? I'll go next. So I'm going to talk about, this isn't my favorite. It's the first pseudoscience that had a dramatic effect on my life, though. So it's definitely not my favorite, but it's, it's multi-level marketing. So who here thinks they know what multi-level marketing is? <laughs> Good, that's great. I'm happy to actually see that many hands come up because this is actually a pseudoscience or more like a scam that affects a lot of people. A lot of people get sucked in to the multi-level marketing thing. We get a lot of emails, particularly recently for some reason, maybe just probably just a coincidence, but a lot of people writing in saying, my mother or my, you know, when my brother got sucked into multi-level marketing, how could I talk to them about it? So like writing at 3 a.m., I'm writing these responses. So I thought maybe we should talk about it again on the show. So the... The quick one, too, multi-level marketing started around the 1920s. I don't know who the first company was to do it, but when you say multi-level marketing versus single-level marketing, it means that it means a few things, but one of them is, and the, the primary idea behind it is that you don't really work directly for the company. So if you get if you get hired so in a way of putting it, but you're not really salaried, is what they're doing is asking you to sell their product. So company A is asking you as an affiliate, to sell their product, or you know, so associate, or whatever they want to call you, they don't. They don't directly pay you. They only you only get paid through um, the main way you get paid is primarily through sales, right? You can think of it that way, or you can get paid through people that you get to join underneath you. So that's why we call it a pyramid scheme. So if you think about it, the first person that starts, you know, the, the top of the pyramid is one person there. They get two people to join in their program. And then those two people get two people, and those two those people get people. And by the time you keep going down and down and down, you can have 100 people underneath you. The more people underneath you will generate you more money through the sales that they do. And primarily people that are involved in multi-level marketing, they're selling, they call it direct marketing, meaning you're selling to friends and family, to people that you already have a relationship with. It's And a lot of it is guilt-driven. And I'll tell you, so here's my experience. So a friend of mine, I, I took a real estate course in Manhattan. I was a real estate agent as one of my first careers uh, while I was in school. He said, hey, I got involved in this multi-level marketing. It's great. You know, and he, he sell, sells me on the whole thing. I'm like, wow, it sounds awesome. Like, I could do this in my part-time. I could make some money. The services were uh, f- regular landline phone service, and back in the day, it was beeper service. And it was better. It, the pricing was better. So some of these multi-level marketing companies actually sell legitimate products. Like, you know, Mary Kay, as an example, is a, is a makeup company, and they, they have other type of skincare products. And, you know, I don't know to what quality level their products are, but a lot of people buy buy Mary Kay. A lot of people buy, uh, what was it, Revlon is another one. They're not you know, driving around those pink cars, you know, for nothing. Yeah. They're, they're Revlon, paying big bucks. Revlon is not another one. No, Revlon is. They started out as multi-level. Oh, but they're not now. Not now. Some no. of them, yeah. So some of them became multi-level and then and then yeah. stopped doing it. Amway's another big one. Amway's Amway. huge. Yeah, Amway, Amway. So Herbalife. to further explain like what happens... It really is a cult mentality. So I went to the meetings. I, I talked to a lot of people that were higher up in the in the echelons, and they come in and they're like, you know, I'm making five thousand dollars a week because I've got fifteen people underneath me. 
and all that. And I, I have to believe at this point that most of the people that I talked to, if not all of them, were lying to me. You know, they want. Well, you're talking to people at the top of the. I'm pyramid. talking to people that were earlier in generation yeah. than me. So, like the guy that brought me in on it, it was his guy. You know, and then as I got more involved in it, like they, so the the people that are that are above you in the pyramid want to help facilitate the people below to get more numbers, and numbers equal money. And what ends up happening, and I'm going to read some t- statistics for you guys. What ends up happening is the first percentage of people that get involved actually do make money. There's a very small amount, number of people that make money on it, and they're feeding off of this constant renewal of the like the fourth tier underneath them. So check these numbers out. I'll give you an example of two. So here's here's Amway, a guy that was very high up in Amway, one of the few money makers in the Amway organization, said that the high level member reported that 33,000 affiliates existed, and 90 people out of those 33,000 were making enough money to cop to cover their operating costs. 90 people out of 33,000. Out of those 90 people, some of them were making money. Some of them were just covering their operating costs, right? If you, if you, read, you yeah. know, that's exactly what it said. So there's such a small number of people in in this giant wing of Amway that were making money. The rest were just what? What were these people? These were really, they they buy the the. I was in one. I wrote on one called Quorum in my early twenties, and the concept is you are buying product at X and then going out and selling it directly to people for a markup. Right. But what the company really wants is that third, fourth, fifth tier downline buying the product. And you're buying the product from the person up above you. Yeah. So that's how the pyramid rolls up, and that's how they keep moving product, even though very little product actually makes it into uh, the hands of end consumers. So the 33, the, you know, the 32,900 and some who weren't making any money, they're the ones buying the product, and the yeah. people above them are the ones getting the credit for it. Yep. They're yeah, really so the customers. They yeah, are. They con- the you start convincing your customers that they're they're your salesmen too, mm-hmm. but really they're just they're just making enough money to to buy their own product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Typically, what happens is like it's part of signing up. So they they first get you emotionally engaged. They tell you you're going to make a lot of money. You're going to have in- financial independence. You're going to work for yourself. You could yes, you could. Do, this is a full time job. If you work really hard and get people underneath you, you know, you can quit your day job. So a lot of times these last the romance lasts about a year. So their the initial package is well you got to buy all the company's forms like their paperwork you know if you're going to go do a sale here's we have the forms already made for you you have to use our forms okay you buy the forms and you got to buy a packet of like fifty of them all right that's you know that's a couple hundred dollars or whatever it costs and you got to buy all this product you got to stock up this is what we recommend that you buy you know if you're selling vitamins well you're gonna, you're gonna these ten vitamins are going to be the ones you're going to sell the most of so why don't you invest three hundred bucks you buy those right so so by the time you're at you know you, you get into it. You have a basement full of the product, and now you're like, I'm going to start selling this stuff, and now you start hitting up your friends and family, and you know what happens? Nobody buys a goddamn thing from you. Mm-hmm. Like, I had three people get on the phone service, and the, the sad thing was is the phone service was actually less expensive than AT&T at the time. It was a good deal, and I could only convince three people that I knew, and I knew a ton of people. And then I'm like, what the hell's going on? Why can't I do it? So then I go back, and I buy more stuff. We'll take the advanced course. You know, it just it just never ends. They, they have multiple. Tons of layers to have you continue to buy into it. Then you're in that situation where you're like, shit, I went to all these seminars. I know this stuff well enough that I can even get more people involved. Like, you know, I was training people. I was giving the lectures myself. I memorized the whole thing. I was really good at it. It was fun, too. That was the other thing. It was fun to get a room full of people to come in and talk to them. Similar to what we're doing here. Um, But then what happened was you eventually get to the point where you're like, I haven't made a goddamn dime. (laughs) Then I'm asking a guy above me, and I'm friends with him. How you doing? And he went from like positive, positive, everything good. Then he's like, you know, I'm not making a goddamn dime off of this. 
You know, so like I quit, then he quit, and then, you know, he's telling me other people, then three guys above him quit. You know, it all comes out in the end. So let me give you some more, let me give you some more interesting stats. One more, I'll just give you one more company so we can move on to the next thing. Uh, Monavi, big, and, you know, it's one of the big things that talk about some company I hate. Monavi is so full of shit selling their magic, their magic fruit juice. But check this out. 2007 income disclosure statement. Fewer than 1% qualified for commission, and of those, only 10% made more than $100 a week. Wow. So you think, okay, they're making... Uh, they're 0.1%. They're pulling in $100 a week. Right, number one, you can't live off of that anywhere, anywhere. Um, they, how much did they... What was their initial investment, though? You know, maybe they're 500 or $1,000 into it. In the end, you know, okay, so they're barely scraping by enough money to keep themselves in stock. They might they might be breaking even with the amount of sales that they're doing, but they're they they made the initial investment. They're going to go through the process. They're going to drop out, and then they'll recruit the next people. And it's that that constant underwave of people just continuing to do it, and that small tier of people on top. So this is what I recommend that you do: keep a lookout for you know I don't I don't mean quiz people, but when you hear somebody talking about it, you know enough right now to say, look, just go to Wikipedia and look up multi level marketing. There's a ton of of statements for people that worked in there that tell you the real numbers of all these different big companies. And these are big companies like Electrolux, um, Electrolux, Tupperware, Kirby, Avon. I mean, we, we know all these brand names. You know, Electrolux, really? That was multi-level marketing? Yeah. Yep, the company made a shit ton of money off. And the company makes the money, too. Like, don't forget, it's not just the upper echelon. The company that themselves makes money because they're at the top of the heap. They're the, they're the number one agent in the whole process. So talk to your talk to people. Don't yeah. let them get seduced. It's the seduction that brings them in. Why is it just outlawed? Well, they have lobbyists in Congress. I'm sure keeping it going. It exactly. It no, there is. There's a, there's a significant lobby. They have 200 people that lobby for multi level marketing, and they're very good at spinning that spinning it up and making sure. it seem legitimate and making you know. They're, and, they're, and they're, they tell people in government, there's a lot of budding businesses here. A lot of people can make a lot of money off of this stuff. And you know who the hell knows? Like think of all the other stuff that the government believes. All the other bullshit lobbying. I'm gonna. This is totally a personal opinion, but I think greasing palms has a lot to do with it. They make there's mm. a lot of money involved. In this. Who wants to go next? Me. I want to talk about butts. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you cannot lie. <clears throat> and now they're they're pseudoscience. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was I was informed that we should we should pick our favorite pseudoscience to talk about, and it's definitely butts. And uh, Scott brought up a good point earlier. He said butts are real, Rebecca, and. Uh, but um, science is a thing. But science, it does exist. Mm-hmm. What does not exist, though, is rhombology, which is my favorite pseudoscience of You're all time. You're making that up. Come on. I am not making that up. <laughs> it is 100% a thing. And it gets better. The progenitor... Is that the word I want? <laughs> That's I good. So. Okay. Uh, the progenitor of rhombology, Scott... Guess who it is. Guess who it is. Sir makes a lot. That's <laughs> that's an excellent that guess. That is a super great guess. Great guess. It's wrong. Um, and Good so guess. close. So close, you're going to kick yourself when okay. I tell you. Okay. It was uh, Pierre Derrière. <laughs> and his orchestra. I'm topping out Closer. of the game because I want to look up Rumpology. I still think you're filling me for what you have The progenitor was one Sorry. Jacqueline Stallone. A.K.A. No, Sylvester Stallone's mom. Oh, okay. From Stop or My Mom, Stop will, or my shoot. mom will Shoot. Bottom yeah. reading. No, she wasn't. That wasn't. <laughs> Rumpology or bottom reading is a <laughs> that, science akin. Oh, that was an actor. <laughs> <laughs> Sylvester Stallone's actual mother God, is a worse so. shot. And, uh, yeah, came up with Rumpology. 
which uh, she claimed goes back to the Babylonians. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the you know obviously the Babylonians. Why not? <laughs> everything uh, everything started. There. Who's going to argue with her except for every historian? Ever, uh, who says that this is complete bullshit? Cleopatra had her own rumbologist, right? So yeah. she invented it, meaning like she was sitting around the kitchen one day making Sylvester some meatballs, and she invented touching and examining people's asses to tell them their fortune. Yeah, that may have happened. I don't. Um, yes, uh, Scott. Uh, I, I just. Well, I think I was a... looking this up on Wikipedia because yeah. I totally thought I was going to debunk you on making this up, but it's it's a thing. No. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I just have to read this quote. Uh, Upon learning about a TV show rumpologist known as Professor Jose Miranda, a pupil of Stallone's, the Florida psychic Cherie Silver disassociated herself from the practice, telling the Sun Sentinel, and I quote, I can't imagine anyone wasting their time and money on someone like this when there are so many legitimate psychics out there. (laughs) End quote. Sorry to interrupt. Please continue. No, no, that was the perfect interruption because it's absolutely correct. It's like, well... I've been consulting the innards of a raven. <laughs> I am not to be associated with this woman looking at butts. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so there's a whole science to it, if you'll excuse the incorrect word. Jay tried to found breastology once, but it didn't. It's, yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking is that, you know, I have my theory of it all is that Jacqueline Stallone was just sitting around her kitchen thinking, you know what I love? butts <laughs> how can i get people to show me their butts <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you you know some of the rumpology um can i have a volunteer from the audience please nope okay no. that was no that was the correct answer which is to have no one to, uh, no wait <laughs> no no i'm sorry someone did stand up <laughs> Too late, though. <laughs> okay, now take off your pants, sir. <laughs> uh, no, no, okay, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm supposed to yes, be on my best tra- behavior. <laughs> I would rather not violate Dragon Con's uh, harassment policy. Uh, that would be ironic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and you know it would be enforced in that case. Rebecca right? Watson asked me to take my pants off, and, and the whole crowd was staring at me. I didn't know what to do. So I took my pants off. <laughs> I took my pants off and I thought Steve would love me more. <laughs> so. <laughs> but what is she, now, I don't know, what is she doing? Like, how did, does she okay. touch people? Well, you can do it, there are several ways, and obviously the most accurate is to, to get right up in there. Like she to, shoots whoa, the moon, like she's to, sticking her finger up people's asses? Like, what's no, going no, on? no, not. It's an external check. phenomenon. It's not a colonoscopy, right? It, Control there, yourself. We're, we're, this is not. We're proct- talking about butts, right? Not. not anus. I cannot not lie right. about this either. Yeah. Not, proctol- <laughs> proctology is real. Does she look at them? Like, is she reading the wrinkles? So like, what's she's happening? looking at a number of things: the relative flatness or roundness or juiciness. She tells him to shake it. Juiciness. Shake that. Healthy uh, excuse rump. me. It's a scientific <laughs> term. Whoa. Uh, now, does she asked them to drop their pants, and then she's then she's like goes like this, and she says, "Now back that ass up." So well, and she it. has a she has an anaconda yeah. come out to little known. This is actually where twerking came from. Like, it's a medical treatment plant. Right. I knew it. She's yeah. like, he doesn't so incorporate this in your next book. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? I can't wait. So 
Yeah, no, so, uh, yeah, like, uh, a, a flat butt, she hates flat butts, like those, if, I'm sorry. Come if, on, who does Sorry, it, right? white people. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, literally everyone here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm horrified by this, because I have no ass. You have no ass, and so, Jacqueline Stallone would say that you are a horrible like I'm gonna die. person. That, that's like, that's like having, like, yeah. no lifeline. Your lifeline is gone. Yeah, and so she actually says that the, uh, left buttocks, as they say, what? uh, is your, it, will describe your past your right buttock is your future your left your left ass actually changes over time yeah yeah well it does get wrinklier and that's what she's looking at she's looking at the dimples and the crack again we're using the scientific terms here (laughs) so i just google it if you don't know what i'm talking about i apologize uh line line of hemispheric separation well that is a perfect description actually because Jacqueline Stallone uh, relates and Steve you'll like this because uh, I know how much you love butts and also brains she relates the crack Phenology. of the butt to the corpus callosum oh, mm-hmm. yes. the division between the two halves of your brain the division. Yes, I'm sorry uh, I believe Scott has a question what does the anus relate to then in yeah, this wonderful science is there a, that's like, the is third there a, eye that's the third <laughs> eye yeah. Yeah. Why or not? The, the turtle realm, Why as not? it's called in the pseudoscience. <laughs> the turtle realm. <laughs> you go all the way down. Are, is, anyone, is anyone here familiar with the anal wink? No. Steve, too much. <laughs> it's a medical term. You've finally term. gone, gone over it? the line. I thought line. they called that the balloon. You've now. gone over the line. You're out of control. You know what, listeners? It's like, a reflex you can see look at the when listeners you're examining don't see what the what you, <laughs> the audience here can see that there is a half empty bottle of Jack Daniels next to you. <laughs> and, and and half that, of us are naked and there's anal winks going on all over. <laughs> Wait, yeah. and that when do he said anal link, he did a disgusting thing with his fingers and I his mouth. It. And I, I guess wait, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. Oh you, Steve, in a good exam, pokes someone and then somehow visually checks to see if their asshole tightens up. That's correct. Wait, now is wait, really now visualize it? this. Is that it? That's you what have it is? To, You have to have a patient drop their pants. That's a reflex. Get your head down, poke them, and you're looking for the balloon knot. Wait, you're what? For a wink. You can't Why farm you that just... job out to a to an intern or something. No, I have a serious That's question. Yeah, yeah. I gotta tell you. Why the, the hell do you think you went to medical reflex? school? <laughs> farm that I out. have a serious question. Steve. Does anybody know what the cremasteric reflex is? I'm not sure. I want to know. <laughs> Wait, I have a question about the wink. And why are you looking at the wink instead of just sticking your other That's, finger? You can in do it? that too. Okay, it's it's your option. That's tone. It's what you're, you're into. For tone. Looking for tone? Anal tone. Are there several qualities of Where's the butthole like? that you're actually like tone? breaking down? Anal tone. Are you telling me the doctor that made up anal tone wasn't thinking about farting? Like muscle tone? <laughs> anal tone? Like oh, I see. Oh, I got it. But are you looking Come for... Oh, really? Like a, is there a scorecard? Synonyms like, are well, a you yeah. know, it's pink. It be, yeah. It's the right pink, but uh, your tone is a little it low. Be, it could be... Absent, the smell is mm, robust. Or, could be better. Know. Yeah, but what happens if someone's Earthy got bad is a tone, term that gets they thrown a lot. No, yeah. it's, well, it would, usually as a part of a neurological exam, you're looking for spinal cord damage, right? Oh, you want to know if yeah. those reflexes are intact or not. So it's just, yeah. that's a good so excuse. Has anyone ever shit themselves in the office? Neurology. My nose tells me yes that that's <laughs> happened before. Oh, so like, you use the visual oh method? God. You don't stick your other finger in. I've used multiple different methods. What makes career. you decide which The right tool for the use. job, Rebecca. Yeah. That's what happens here. I think we got to move on. I what do you... No, no, no. No, we're into this now. And... <laughs> yeah, we're, no, we're, 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 we're too deep. We're too deep. Yeah. yeah. So, 
if you got her fingers gently stroke so, yeah. like so. Excuse you, me, you guys, we're learning what the cream right. hysteric. You gently stroke is. the inner thigh of a male. Done it. And the scrotum tightens. Been up. there. It's a reflex. And that, so I'm a doctor. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that reflex by no coincidence, Rebecca knew about this reflex. Yeah, She's no, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. You didn't know it was called and, the cream and, and whatever. You don't always know there's a name for these And then he creams. And it's yes, odd. And then Adam is smiling <laughs> over there. Well, you know. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so you have a perverted job. Uh, my, doesn't, I'm not called upon to do that much these days, but yes. There's an intern. That <laughs> but in the gunslinger days. Yeah. In the desert days, all the time. Yeah. And did you ever, while doing all of this uh, weird stuff that you're into, do you ever look at the dimples in their butt? No, I've never, I've never done a uh, an astrological a reading of their butt. Um, excuse me, a rumpologist. A rump, yes. Do, do you, are you aware of there was a um, a physician who published a paper in an alternative medicine journal, also invented rumpology, but they. Oh, so this, he's like the, uh, like Darwin's bulldog. He's like Wallace, uh, Huxley. To, Wait, he does. Uh, sorry, he... Huxley. Huxley. To, to Sylvester Sloan's mother's. No. Darwin. It was done as a hoax. <laughs> oh. It was, it was like Sokol, you know, publishing the fake physics. Oh, paper. right. Sure. So yeah, he said he made up, in his rumpology, there was the, the ass was, a homunculus of the whole body. <laughs> and it was a way of diagnosing, but yeah. looking at the ass with yeah. the homunculus. Rumpunculus. And he got it published huh. in a journal. Just nice. It was just to see if he could just to see if just to see how crappy the journal was. If they were just good. to see if it could, and not at all to get photos of people's butts. <laughs> it, there was no, it, was, it was just a graphic, a picture, a drawing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, when he hung up his shingle for that practice, <laughs> a lot of people coming for it. Yep. That's, uh, yeah. It was shit on the shingle. So, the shingle. Yeah. so, and speaking of that particular yeah. thing, so uh, Jacqueline will do rumpology readings in person, and that's the best way to to do it. You can't just like Xerox it, but you can Xerox it if you want, uh-huh. and email it to her, and she will respond with your. Uh, I'm in your the wrong readings. line of work, dude. Is yeah, this, you are. Yeah. yeah, you are. No, you're, you're, you're working, working too, hard. I know, working too hard. too <laughs> hard. All right, we have hard. we have to move along. Bob, what do you got? Follow that up. Also, Bob. butts. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to follow anal winking with uh, <laughs> Tunguska, <laughs> but um, here at Tunguska. <laughs> so June 30th, 1908. What happened? I just gave it away. You all know. Tunguska happened. Uh, this happened at the Podka Manaya, Podka Manaya, Tunguska River in uh, remote Siberia. Siberia. It was uh, an extraordinary event that pretty much everybody has heard of. One of the closest witnesses that was 40 miles away, 40 miles away, sitting on his porch, was hit by a, a shockwave that knocked him over. He said it, it felt like his shirt was on fire. Uh, so you can imagine something that was 40 miles away doing that to him. Uh, it was pretty, pretty incredible. So this is, uh, he was quoted as saying soon thereafter, well, that probably was years later, but suddenly in the north sky, the sky was split in two. The high above the forest, the whole northern part of the sky appeared covered with fire. At that moment, there was a bang in the sky and a mighty crash. The crash was followed by a noise like stones falling from the sky or of guns firing. The earth trembled. So something, something incredible happened. In England, the barometers in England were, uh, they actually registered the shockwave in England. Uh, very, you know, pretty far away. 
Um, it actually created these dense cloud, this dense cloud layers that reflected light from below the horizon. It was reflecting light. People in Siberia could read newspapers, uh, so it was visible from from vast distances away from it hap- from when it happened. When they finally got there, I think twenty seven years later, they, it took decades to actually get there, like twenty seven years. They found even at that time they found eight hundred square miles of remote forest that was just pretty much devastated. Eight hundred square miles. 80 million trees were knocked down. The thing is, they were lying in a radial pat- pattern, so if you could, they were all like pointing towards the epicenter. So they actually went to the epicenter, and there were there actually were trees standing there, still standing there, uh, completely denuded. Is that the right word? There were no no leaves, no branches, no bark. They were just people liking them to like a forest of telephone poles, which was obviously right under the blast. So the force was directly, you know, hitting them head on. So some shit. of the theories, uh, the locals that actually lived there believe that it was the god Agdi that that actually was responsible, that he cursed the area by smashing trees and killing animals. But some of the other theories that have been raised have been, they seem reasonable on the surface. Some people said a natural H-bomb, which was kind of an interesting idea that you could have a meteorite that had a high deuterium level that the force of entry in the atmosphere could actually cause a fusion reaction. And well, that's, that's the crazy part, because temperatures don't get that high. Uh, so you're not going to do that. There was no radioactivity that they that they detected even decades later. It would still be there. So it's not a natural H-bomb. Some people say, this is interesting, a small black hole. Some people actually thought and still believe that a small black hole entered the atmosphere and went through the planet, and where it, where it hit the surface, it caused this event or whatever. That's and, scary. Yeah. Yeah, but, what? But, well, that's well, come, it's okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, if it Too entered, late. I'm if worried it, about it. If it entered, it would have exited on the other side of the planet, and there was no evidence of that ever happening. But why wouldn't it suck in the planet? The thing, the thing is, though, with a, with a little mini black hole, the surface area is so tiny that it's not going to just go... It, it would actually probably take, I don't know, weeks or months to potentially suck in the entire Earth. So, if I mean, if this was coming through space, it, I guess it could just go right through the Earth. But that didn't happen because there was no exit. If there's an entry wound, why there would be an exit wound? So it's not a black hole. Don't worry, it's going to be okay. Antimatter is another one. Antimatter was was really cool. Um, they think that uh, antimatter somehow a chunk of antimatter. I don't know where a chunk of antimatter would come from, but entered you know entered the atmosphere and blew up and caused that event. But that doesn't make sense either because antimatter would have you know impacted something in space before it got here, or would it just entering our atmosphere, the yeah. edge of the atmosphere, right? It wouldn't wait until it got So do we know miles. what it was? Of course we do, Jay. Have you heard about Tunguska? <laughs> it's like one in the morning. I'm tired. All right. <laughs> so, all right, who knows the Ghostbusters quote about I, I remember this in, like, what, 83, 84? Who you going so the Tanguska. So the, there was a throwaway line that Something I remember. Involving a Twinkie. This man has no yeah. dick. Yeah. Something like that. No, he said, "Who was it? Uh, I forget which, which actor it was." But he said, "The biggest interdimensional cross rip since the Tunguska blast in 1909." And he, he, got, he got the he year. Got. He got the year oh. wrong. But uh, but people think a crashed UFO caused this thing, which is I mean, this is just silliness. And an extraterrestrial attack is one of my favorites. Um, some people think, thought, and still think. Uh, uh, Tesla was testing his wireless power transmission, and somehow, <laughs> or a death ray, a, a Tesla death ray, uh, that that went haywire and caused that. So Jay, it was a meteor. It was a meteoroid, Jay. It was a. It was an air burst. Now this, okay. there was no crater the because it ex- yes, very good. It uh, exploded in the air because it, if you come in, if you're made of a certain composition, you come in at a certain angle at a certain speed in the atmosphere. The, the density, so it blew up before it hit the, the ground. Yeah, the, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. The density, the density of the air would would cause some it to, good teamwork, boys. Yeah. So that's actually that's work, boy. and that's why the, the devastation was so widespread. But uh, and there was no crater, and it was very difficult to find 
anything from it because it was just vaporized, but they have found little bits. But um, it was, at the time, it was the only uh, entry of a large meteoroid that we uh, that we have in the modern era with first-hand accounts until last year, of course, That's when right. Chelyabinsk meteor in Russia. That was awesome. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, I mean. It's time for Science or Fiction. Each week, I come up with three science news items or facts, two real and one fictitious, and then I challenge my panel of skeptics to tell me which one is the fake. I've got a theme this week. Uh. <laughs> so we're at Dragon Con, so the theme is dragons. Cool, okay. Ooh, ah, okay. Nice. Real. There Turns be dragons. Oh, let's do it. All right, here we uh, go. They're all fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Item number one, the Komodo dragon, which can weigh oh. up to 300 pounds, can eat 80% of its body weight in one meal. That's awesome. Item number two... Oh, unless you're the meal. The bearded dragon has been a popular pet for decades, but it was not until 2005 that it was discovered that they are venomous. And item number three, the barbled dragonfish, a deep-sea predator, can suddenly light its entire body with bioluminescence in order to blind and stun its prey. Got that? So two of those are real, one is fiction. Who in the audience thinks that the Komodo dragon, 80% of its body weight, is a fiction? Applaud if you think that's a fiction. Two. You guys. You're not in the audience, oh, Scott. Sorry, Scott. <laughs> Hold your turn. Jesus, Scott. <laughs> you'll, you'll, who who thinks you'll get a chance. the venomous bearded dragon is a fiction? And the barbled dragonfish bioluminescence is the fiction? So, so Right the now, I think the bearded dragon bearded is in the lead. Bob, we'll start with you. Which one do you <laughs> he think is fiction? Make it. Just do it, Bob. <laughs> he wins. Bob, just do it. I think um, the third one, the blinding and stunning. Uh, I've seen plenty of bioluminescent fish, and I mean they could do it for camouflage and for other things, but to actually use the bioluminescence to stun—I don't know. I'm not. I'm not That's buying that cool, one. Though, I think that. Uh, to blind and the force is strong with those ones. Yeah. Was what you're saying? I don't think it's, it's that strong. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say that's fiction. Go. Okay. That was Rebecca. the shortest Bob ever did it. Holy uh, shit. I know that, that was, was amazing. Awesome. That's worth a round. Good of for applause. you, Bob. Roman Diet Coke. Uh, I was with Bob actually until just one second ago, and when I <laughs> realized, well, maybe because he's absolutely right, I was thinking along the same lines. But then I was also thinking that maybe they're blinding and, and stunning something that is deep in the ocean and, and is very sensitive to light. And so maybe even the soft glow of bioluminescence would be enough to freak them out. So it is out there uh, and it is possibly the fiction, but instead I'm going to go with the second one. The bearded dragon. That's the Venomous. one. Is the, is the beard the venom part? We'll get to that. Venom beard. All right, I'm going to go, I'm going to say that the eating 80% of their body weight in one day is the fiction. That's even though one meal. One out. meal. Totally impressive. I mean, seriously, I've tried. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, you get in there, you dig in. I ate uh, seven seven Big Macs in one sitting when I was no, 17 years old. Did. Bob, what? Bob paid seven? for it. Bob paid for yeah. it. Seven Big Macs. I bet you paid for it later. I couldn't believe it. Confirmed. Spent all my money seven. on him, bastard. Yeah, it was epic. So, no, I tried. Like you can't do it. No Komodo dragon can eat more. Going back to the mid eighties. All right, Scott, what do you Scott, think? Picking yeah. the one that's true. The one that's a fiction. Two are true. Oh, one's two are a true. One's a fiction. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Komodo dragon as the, the fiction. Yeah. Yeah. T.W. Right. Lawrence, right? Evan, 
Uh, shoot. At that, the, the light with the uh, blinding. The shotgun stunning. Yeah. You know, what, what do you mean by stunning? I mean, can fish yeah. really be stunning? Uh, so sure. that's a little vague. I'm um, thinking it's that one. Plus, I think we saw it in Finding Nemo or something. But I'm going to go with the uh, beer-battered uh, Dragon. Bearded dragon. Yes, Poisonous that one. Beer. <laughs> beer All right, so dragon. Evan and Rebecca think the venomous bearded dragon is the fiction. And Scott? No, Jay and Scott think the, the Komodo, Komodo dragon. Komodo dragon. 80% uh, a lot. 80%, percent, yeah. And Bob creature. thinks that the bioluminescence is the fiction. Spread out. So, That's right. let's Luminous see if, who convinced the audience. Who thinks the Komodo dragon is the fiction? Double it. Who thinks the bearded dragon being venomous is the fiction? Halved it. And who thinks the barbled dragonfish is the fiction? He didn't say how Fox venomous, though. Yeah. Just a tiny little bit venomous. <gasps> oh. It's just a tiny little bit venomous. There you go. It's a that wafer one thing. is science. You said it's almost that's number good. two. It's a wafer thing. The bearded yeah. dragon has been popular <laughs> pet for <laughs> decades, but it was not until 2005 that it was discovered that they are venomous. Oh, wait, that so is well. true. That is science. Sorry, Rebecca. And it's because Me they're just it. slightly venomous. Because <laughs> they pro- it's, it's probably dead. It's mostly, it's mostly non-venomous. Probably an evolutionary holdover. <laughs> so, the bearded dragon is a very popular pet. It's actually exclusively Australian in terms of its native uh, habitat. Um, and it was exported from Australia for years. They're, they're like, they're small, very friendly, curious, you know, lizards. Um, easy to take care of. They became very popular pets. Now, Australia has banned their export, but there's already a sustainable population in pet stores in the U.S. And so, you, you can buy them and, and you can have them as a pet. People feed them, um, and they're venomous, but they're, the venom wouldn't is harmless to humans. It's so mild, it would be harmless to humans. Okay, good pickup. We'll yeah. go back to number one, the Komodo dragon, which can weigh up to 300 pounds. 300. 80% of its body weight in one meal. You two guys That's think right. this is... That Scott good. and Jay think this is the fiction. And this one is science. Fuck. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. I knew... I, I 80%? Knew that is awesome. How many big that? 300 that? pounds. So this is the Komodo dragon is the largest li- surviving lizard in the world. Yep. It's actually a monitor lizard type. It's actually the Komodo monitor is its other name. It's a it's a um, an ambush predator. Yeah. So it hides, and then when something walks by, it jumps out and bites it. Um, if and it doesn't ambush. kill it outright, you know how it kills its prey? Saliva. Saliva is like it, it's oh, nasty. Yeah. It's it has saliva is like bad. over fifty really nasty bacteria in it. it slimes you, and so. It, 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 you get infected, you get like a blood poisoning, you get infected with all these bacteria, and then it just sort of follows you for a day until you collapse and die. <laughs> and then it eats you. It, it, could, it could zero in on the odor that you make when you're dying. 240, 240 <laughs> pounds of you. So Jay eats most <laughs> of his meals. And then it will eat 80% of its body weight, you know. But I mean, 80%, like, does it just lie there then, like, for a little I while? Get, I, uh, yeah. Like its stomachs are that. Man. I mean, come on, but physically, it's, I, I believe you, but it's, uh, how? <laughs> I want to see pictures of this. Jay, seven, like Jay, seven Big Macs, how? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm good. All right. Yes. <laughs> Which means Which means the barbled dragonfish, a deep sea predator, can suddenly light its entire body with bioluminescence in order to blind and stun its prey is the fiction. Mm. I made up the blind and stun part. So does anyone know what barbled is? The barbled, barbled. dragonfish? Barbled. It's the little thing that hangs yes. down and there's a little yes. bioluminescence thing at the so bottom. Cool. That is so like, cool. And it uses that as the lure. <laughs> what were you pointing? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a fish. And then it, it hangs down from its chin. You weren't doing this. Doing this. It's like you the turkey thing. What's you were the, doing this. So that's it's a lure. God, <laughs> 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 we record this. Now, what's interesting is it will eat some. A lot of the deep sea fish are bioluminescent, right? So it actually eats 
Some of its prey is bioluminescent. And part of the problem there is that, let's say it eats a bioluminescent fish. Now it's glowing. Now it's glowing inside its stomach. Oops. And now uh, it's, because it's small. This thing is actually only like eight inches or so big. Oh, no. It's so, vulnerable. So it, it has an evolutionary adaptation where its stomach has black lining to prevent its prey from glowing inside its stomach. That's being cool. Cool. So, awesome. so it's not vulnerable to predators cool. after it's eaten. To its predators. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cool? That's yeah. very, very cool. Barbled dragonfish. I totally I thought barb- you made that name up. Barbled? Yeah. Isn't that cool? I love. I had to go with that name. So three dragon animals. So who won? So Bob, Bob wins, and whoever who in the audience won. The a minority, but we all win. Good job. But everyone wins. Good job, wins. Bob. Everyone. We've established we that Komodo dragons are gluttonous dumbass. <laughs> I think we've established this here today. With a nasty... Give me a break. Oh, right. I'm sorry that's rude, but can you imagine the poops a Komodo dragon? Oh, my goodness, right? <laughs> wow. That's well, you just made me think of something. Do those fish, fish's shit, glow? Does their, does their shit glow? Yeah. Or does it degrade? I think it probably degrades. That would be pretty cool, yeah. right? It would be. <laughs> I picked a very short quote. Okay, you have a quote? Yes, week? I do. I picked a very short quote. This was sent in by a listener named Dave Maslick. Very close to Dave Aslick, Rebecca. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> she was studying rumpology. She wasn't paying any attention. <laughs> you say quote, something about bass picks? The quote is, convictions are more dangerous foes of truth than lies. Anybody not, not legal convictions, but no. like belief convictions. Belief uh, convictions yeah. are more dangerous foes of truth than lies. Yeah. Any guess on who said that? Um, Frederick Nietzsche! <laughs> Nietzsche? <laughs> Nietzsche? Nietzsche? <laughs> he also said that I think church sti- stink with the stench of common people or something, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Nietzsche. Scott, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Awesome. You're awesome. You're awesome. And thank you to our awesome audience. Yes, thank Give you guys. Give yourself a round of applause for the audience. And, I, and until next week, this is your Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Thank you, everyone. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is produced by SGU Productions, dedicated to promoting science and critical thinking. For more information on this and other episodes, please visit our website at theskepticsguide.org, where you will find the show notes as well as links to our blogs, videos, online forum, and other content. You can send us feedback or questions to info at theskepticsguide.org. Also, please consider supporting the SGU by visiting the store page on our website, where you will find merchandise, premium content, and subscription information. Our listeners are what make SGU possible.